Welcome to another episode of the podcast, From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I am your host, Chris Swift, and on this podcast, we talk about mental health, addictions, ADHD, and really anything anyone's afraid to talk about, we talk about it on the show. I believe everyone's story is valuable at the end of the day. It does not matter what walk of life you come from. You're all welcome on my platform. You can find the show over on YouTube, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast in audio format, you can find it and video format over on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button over on the YouTube page and turn on those notifications. You can also find me over on Instagram at Depths of Dark Side, sharing a little bit about my story, my personal life, and just my journey and giving tips and tricks with ADHD and mental health and just having a good old time over there, just sharing my story because I believe all your stories are valuable at the end of the day. But with no further ado, I got the host of Knocking Doors Down podcast. I got a sober coach on today, all the way from the West Coast out in Cali. I got Jason Lachance. You want to take it away and let him know a little bit about yourself, Jason, what you're all about? Chris, first, thanks for having me, man. Canadians are the best. I do have some Canadian linea- lineage, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tout that a little bit. Yeah, so Knocking Doors Down, of course, podcast. Very similar mission to you, Chris. Just people that have been through any kind of adversity and the reason I started Doing this, of course, going through addiction recovery myself. I do have some anxiety and depression thrown in there. We'll throw a lot of that in there, as well as some learning learning disability, dyslexia, and a lineage of addiction. Everything from alcohol, drugs, sex, all of that in my family. And boy, my brother got none of it, and I got all of it. Which is just like you, man. I just believe everybody's got a valuable story, and I always remind myself when I see someone in my day that everyone's going through something. Hundred percent, and I feel the same way with you. My one brother got nothing. My other brother, he's all over the place some days, but I would never talk ill about him. But my my youngest never got it, and I got all the addiction from my side for my family. And it is what it is at the end of the day. But I believe everyone has a little bit of addiction in them. It's all a, a matter of how I got a wife. My wife, she can drink and do things and smoke a joint normally. I'll call it a day after two glasses of wine where that I'd have to have all the alcohol going at the house. If we woke up with something left, there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one's too many thousands, never enough. The old saying is exactly. Yeah. You know, can you share with us your personal journey of battling addiction from a young age to becoming a successful radio broadcaster? And how did your addiction affect your career and personal life during that time? Oh, goodness. Wow. Right off the hop, we'll get into her. Yeah. Growing up in a home of addiction, my dad, primarily methamphetamines, a very, like I said, lineage, he went through a very abusive childhood, including excessive sexual abuse. And those things really manifested. Him and my brother were close. We weren't. And through that process, I went through my own experience with molestation at around five, six. And then, as I mentioned, sex addiction. My dad was a sex addict. Pornography was a part of that. So hardcore pornography was a part of my life. And granted, folks, I'm 44. So this is when you had to find somebody's videotape, magazine, whatever it was. Really was my first addiction. I I was laughing there just because I know that you know know, I'm a couple years younger than you. But I remember going to the corner store. I'll break in and drop a little fire. People will be like, like, where's I would go and steal the hardcore porn up the top shelf in like grade four or five. And hide them in the guy in the neighbor's bush all the time and go grab them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it was really, Chris, my first form of escaping my feelings. And that carried through. And of course, going through high school and everything else that kind of my dad finally was trying to get help. Pornography, things like that weren't really as present, but 
there was still a lot of those trying to escape those feelings. And uh, oddly, though, I, I was the guy that got drunk people home from a party, didn't do drugs, didn't drink, ended up losing a couple of friends who, in retrospect, I'd have to say were addicts in high school, had some severe mental health issues and took their own lives. And then once I hit about 22, uh, really, my relationship hadn't repaired with my dad. I stumbled into radio broadcasting. I was telling jokes at a bar. Guy came up, said, you want to work in radio? I said, you want to buy me a fucking Jack and Coke? And literally, people don't believe me. That's how it happened. And all those insecurities and things like that, once I started getting attention because of what I did, it was filling a lot of those inside things with outside solutions. And eventually drinking took off once I moved here to the Central Valley because small town, Number one radio show, a morning show. We had one in every four to five males in the area listening to our morning show every morning. And we're a heavy Hispanic area. And, and so the ego kind of started taking off. We'd go out, never paid for a drink. The girls started coming up to me instead of the other way around. And it just really took off from there. Ended up in a very toxic relationship with my kid's mom. And yeah, that was really when it really started to take off. And I want to dial back because talking about being molested at such a young age and myself too, around nine or 10, roughly, that's what I remember back to. But when, after going through it sort of thing for myself, I didn't think at the time there was nothing where I was lit years later. I was like, there, that just wasn't right. What happened and that was someone the same age as me too. I've forgiven them now, but it took me, fuck, it was 25 plus years of just burying it and burying it. It was only. 36, 37 years old when it came out about it, finally, I held on to it for that long. And it was 25 plus years of almost 20, yeah, 25 years, almost of smoking crack almost for that long and other of our drugs and stuff like that, it just burying it. And finally, you know, just had to come out, man. But for you, was it like, did you know it was wrong at the time? I just want to ask you that, man. First off, thank you for sharing that. Other men need to hear this and people in general. Yes. And I masked it. It's weird because the bond with my dad always surrounded interesting validation. So for me with this inside hole, my dad was like, God, you're always bringing around these good looking gals. And so it was like, ah, the attention from my dad and other people saying that. And so for me, yeah, it, it was trying to hide that, that insecurity about it. What's wrong with me? Why would a grown man want to do this? Blaming myself, feeling shameful, not wanting Definitely not wanting to talk about it. It took a long time. I think last four years, it was a yeah. good 35 years of keeping that in. I talked about an intimate relationship, relationships that I had and with my girlfriends and stuff like that, but it didn't go outside of that. Yeah. And it was, I was, that's why I didn't know who to turn to. And I think people knew something was up, but, and thinking of it now, I go through, going through therapy and she's like, you probably feel Chris like. You weren't asked how you were feeling or what's wrong sort of thing. And yeah, going back and thinking about it, that is the case though. You know what I mean? I can't blame anyone else for the way they are because it goes all the way back. Like we're talking about timing generational trauma here too. Yeah. We can't. And the only way to break that is starts with you. But at the end of the day, I had to take ownership for everything that I did and the train wrecks I caused. That's all I can take care of at the end of the day, man. And that's the only way I'm going to break the, the generational trauma coming up behind me sort of thing. Yeah, we got to sweep our side of the street. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't know about you. I know you mentioned 
being a parent, but I communicate these things with my children. They are aware of it because I want them armed with tools to know what's wrong. And I will commend their mom as well, that this was something that we elected to speak with them early on, that we really wanted to empower them with tools to make empowering decisions over disempowering ones. And to know if something does occur that please speak up. We are here. We hear you. And I think my son more than my daughter, my daughter's eight, my son will be 16 this year. But in that case, he's a very smart kid. Like even today, I know this isn't going to air right now, but even message me, his mom said, it's okay. His grandfather passed away. And he asked me, he's like, Can, you know, do you mind if I get a tattoo dad on, cause I got a bunch of tattoos myself and he's, I just want to get a memory of grandpa on my arm. And I said, he said, but I will respect your answer. Mom said, it's okay, but I'll respect what you say. And I said, you know what, man, I didn't really get my first tattoo till I was 18. And I appreciate, I don't think it's, I think you're a little too young for it. And he respects that. He doesn't go yeah. keep thick, poking, prodding. And he's proud of that. He has his dad back in his life though. He'll message me and just say, hey, tell me I'm proud of you, dad. Just randomly. That's what I love about it. Having that relationship with him again. Not that I didn't have one with them, but I was mentally and, you know, I was physically there, but not mentally and spiritually at the, for many years, for most of their life till about four years ago. Yeah. Oh, I know the not being present, being there. And a lot of my drinking was, okay. Kids are asleep, lunches are packed for school tomorrow. At this point, this is being a single dad and okay, now it's my time. You know what I'm saying? And there was times that, boy, I was drinking until it was time to get them up and off to school sometimes and it's a shit. So it's a lot of those memories like that, that I keep close to not go down that road again, man. Exactly. I, I have like, to. I Same with me. Like I, I lost communication with my kids i at the last when i got cleaned up this time i was like my daughter's mother said you don't know like you need to get your shit together and show me like you are completely clean like i had to do that's how many how much drugs i was like i look back i was like that is how much a copious amount of drugs it took me five fucking air follicle tests to actually be completely drug free so that's a that goes to show you how much like she i had to be clean clean like it didn't matter mm -hmm. that i wasn't doing it for six seven months like almost seven months, like four or five hair follicle tests later till I was completely like ridden of cocaine or crack. Chris, you were lit, man. <laughs> to say that the minimum, but yeah, it was just, it was a, like a wild ride for many years, man. And I'm not, I'm ashamed. Like, I can't be ashamed of what I did. I wouldn't be where, who I am today with, if I didn't go through the things I had to go through. And I think that's really valuable for people to hear because there has to become a point where we shift that shame and guilt into action. And we do acts of service, be it like this, be it if you're a 12 step person going through as a, somebody sponsoring you, then getting sponsees. I know you and I both speak publicly and you know, we have reading to. this book now too. And I want to read once for everyone there. This really popped out to me today. You know, you cannot think your way to a new life. You also can't wish your way to it. It's going to require you to practice some new habits. If you want your life to be different, you've got to start acting differently and making different decisions. That really popped out to me today. It was just yeah. like, wow. Like if you're not willing to change, you know, your surroundings, basically let's, you know, this people, places and things and recovery, same thing. You got, if you're not willing to change that, it's not never, nothing's going to change. You got to change your habits. No, you, it, it, the, the term that we use, I don't know about there is just like being a dry drunk or a dry addict. For okay. sure. And I went through that. That's, that's. Uh, I connect that very much with my relapse, that, that, that bullshit. I got this mentality when <laughs> I didn't have this and I was trying to, I don't know, play God's the right 
thing, but I was certainly trying to wield the power of determining how everything was going to go and still being manipulative in the sense of I'm a recovering people pleaser too. And that's such a huge act of manipulation. And uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. we got to change everything and turn it over, man. It's so true. I don't go to 12 step programs. That's, that's here or there. That could be a political debate for a different day. <laughs> and everybody's got their path. No, but we can't like knock. Everyone has, everyone's recovery is different as they say. And I, I know many people that don't go, but are still practice. Like I still do access service, give back and those types of things in different ways. I do my own, I do therapy, I'm working through my demons and I'm peeling back the onions now. I've been clean and sober four years, but I was not white knuckling. I started working through it, then I stopped, and then I started working through it again. And I was like, I finally just gave in. I was like, I'm going full force now. I got, we're doing couples therapy. We're doing therapy on our own. We both have stuff that yeah. we need to work through. And, and there's nothing wrong with that at 40 years old, people are 40 plus years how old you are. If you want to go to therapy, go. I highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> Same. As a matter of fact, I had a guy messaging me through the the Instagram and just asking for my advice. And he's, I heard you say you're a recovery coach. And I said, yeah, I try to work with people down the road of the process a little bit. And in person, I said, I'll work with you. But like, where are you at? And it's like, dude, it, therapy. If you're not going to hit those meetings and that's not what for you at this time, get in therapy. Put take the the male ego, set it the fuck aside. You have to. This is about you being as whole and complete a person as you can, and making sure you chip away the edges to continue to evolve over and over. It's, otherwise, you're just gonna be stuck in that loop. You're gonna exactly. be stuck in it. It's gonna be on that that repeat playlist sort of thing. Yeah. And and the reason I don't go in, it was just there's other things. It was just politics and those types of things, and that's okay with me at the end of the day. I still personally, I, I love the taste of beer. I drink non-alcoholic beer so and some I. people didn't like it. And they're, they kept telling me I'm a, I'm relapse and that's a relapse. And I finally, just, you know what you do, you I'll do me. I know what I'm doing and I know I'm being honest with myself. My wife, no, trust me. I wouldn't be with my wife. If I was out using, I guarantee you that yeah. I don't have any more shots at home. I'll tell you that. You yeah. Know? And there is, and there, that's one of my gripes too, Chris is like, Hey, we're here to accept people i've been at meetings where the people have shown up and they're not fully sober and someone's oh we got to get them out of here it's, are you serious do you remember your story we got to get them out of it. no we got to welcome and accept them here exactly and, and that's why that's another thing that's where is when like i said everyone you guys do you but that's just my personal experience at some lots of meetings around my area and 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 that's fine if they don't they can't accept me through i am and Clearly they couldn't because they don't, none of them talk to me anymore. And that's okay with me too. But they really weren't my friends then. They were just like my using buddies, acquaintances. Oh yeah. Those people go away quick. Thank you. They goodness. go away really quick. I'll tell you that. If they think they're your buddies, they're not your buddies. Cause once you stop using there, you're not around to be used anymore. Yep. No. It, yeah. It's a, it's definitely that symbiotic relationship of usage. And, but back to the 12 step group, I drink non-alcoholic beer when people have asked or thrown it in my face or whatever. It's like, Hey, it's not a trigger to me. Exactly. It might be to somebody else, but with my recovery, guess what? I can, and it's not. And some guy, even though they say 0, 0.0 and I go, yeah, don't start. I work in the field of recovery. <laughs> I, it's it will, the mouthwash you use probably has a lot more alcohol. <laughs> in like you can eat a freaking banana at certain times. There's the, there's sugar, alcohol and certain yeah. fruits in the way that like, trust me, you're getting more from other things anyways. You would have to drink like 50 of the things to even fill something. So just, no, no. <laughs> just stop. Just stop. Yeah. Exactly. 
You know, you know, you people and I'll do me and that's that. (laughs) Well, nobody would give you shit for a mocktail. Exactly. And I've had ones where it's a non-alcohol rum and you're having it and people, oh, non-alcohol rum or wine or something. And it's, yeah, but if I just called it something else, you wouldn't have shit to say. It's just because it's a mocktail and that's what you associate it with. Whereas for me, I look at it as, oh, I'm an adult. I like to have an adult drink. But I also know I can't get shithoused because I disappear for a week and become a horrible, terrible person because I'm allergic to these substances that just, they, I break out in handcuffs and all kinds of stupidity. Yeah. Exactly. No, same with me. Like, I, it's not a trigger to me. And even someone smoking a joint or whatever, it doesn't bother me at all. I know my limits. And if I feel uncomfortable, I'll leave. And, yeah. And that's okay. And I've done that occasions we've gone out before. I think it's time I go. I'm feeling a little comfortable with the shenanigans that are starting to start around here. And, and my wife's pretty supportive. She's been supportive through the whole process. So it's nice to have that support yeah. system as well. And we have to, especially in our, with our partner, I've had a couple of people where it's guy was asking me and he goes, I want to get sober. She doesn't. And uh, I don't know what to do. And I go, do you want the real answer? Yeah you're probably going to have to leave that relationship because, and it's just by default, even if you do stay sober, what's the odds are against you? You're just going to start to see that there's nothing there anyways, unless, because that person's never going to get to or the resentments anything. from you to her are going to grow and grow and you're probably going to do something stupid. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly how it goes. And it's, yeah. End of the day. The reason I bring up like with the mocktails, the beer, much like the non-alcoholic drinks and stuff is just, it's, it, it recovery's individual to everybody. For sure. So, so like for me, pot, no big deal. I don't partake because I don't like any chink in my armor. When I say so bright, clean and sober, for me, it has to be clean and sober. But that wasn't something that drove me, but you pull out a pill of powder and especially booze. Okay. I'm about to screw up my life again real quick. I tried. I'll touch on that too. I tried the, the pot's legal now in Canada, all over the place. So it's legal. It's okay. Lots of people in the 12 step program were doing it. And I told my wife, I said, I need this. She said, you really don't need this. And me and my manipulation at the beginning of my recovery again. Yeah, I do. I look at all the benefits that this stuff has. And this is my mind to just. This really? is me convincing someone I'm just manipulating them at the end of the day. If, now that I look back at it yeah. and just like any addict, I start running out or I run out and I was like, I fucking need more. She said, no, you don't. I was like, yes, I do. And then the addict in me come out, just getting angry and short fuse. And I, when I was in therapy, the time my therapist was like, Chris, look, how about we just quit the shit? I said, okay, we got to do it. She just no, I had a bad, like, just got to do it. Ever since then, I was like, I was a few months sober. I, Finally, I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm looking back. I was like, yeah, I was just, and the addict was coming out in me when I ran out, even though it was just weed. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, I don't know about up there and how the government's regulating it, but we've had it here where we've worked at the nonprofit I work at, parents and addicts in need. Some of these moms that had come through and their children have had a psychotic break because here you can get banana sandwiches amount of THC. You got a developing brain that's doing this constantly and this one sweetheart of a lady her son travis he had a psychotic break in the midst of that he started just losing it and then he overdosed on fentanyl thinking he was buying his annex because his anxiety from the pot was that bad yeah i didn't didn't eat the pot because of all the shit i put through my system for many years 
And trust me, like, obviously, I call them the tree police, man. Every time I smoke crack, the tree police. Put you out there, the, the police that were all in the trees waiting down front of my house. And just stuff like that. But I was so paranoid. And my wife would be like, what the fuck are you on? And I'm just on the mayor of the THC oil I just took. But I took a lot. Of, it's not kicking in yet. Let's take more and more. Yeah. Let's just. But then all of a sudden, I'm just greening out. Yeah. And I become paranoid. It wasn't even doing anything for me. I was just like looking for that high still. Yeah. See what's into sobrieties. Yeah. And down the road that you went, it's just, we have to accept the reality. Like for me, I'm not going to get any more high than I ever was. I'm not going to get any more drunk. And really, do I need to continue to have any sort of meaningless sex whatsoever? Exactly. Because all those tended to go hand in hand and none of them left me satisfied. There was nothing fulfilling about a single ounce of it. Matter of fact, I felt worse. So I had to do more. So the, the, the hamster wheel of it. So yeah, there's just a point that when anyone that works with me, I'm like, I recommend total abstinence because you'll find out some stuff about yourself. And then you'll look back and go, why? We got the Cali. making sense. Yeah. We got the Cali sober here that people like, it's. I smoke weed and I'm sober. Okay. I get you're clean off of substance X, Y, or Z, but you're not totally sober. You need to. I understand. think that's an out west thing because it's out in BC, the same thing. I've, I know lots of people out there that quit drinking and doing cocaine, but they still smoke a lot of fucking ganja. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take a look. How much of your life are you still being occupied by this? Like, exactly. seriously, like, what are you? I've known people that they went that method and they're still, oh man, hey, can I bum 20? No, I can't bum. I need to get some milk for the house. You should have thought of that before you went and bought two ounces of water. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fuck off. Come on. I don't know. That's just me. For sure. As a sober coach, Jason, what are some of the common challenges individuals facing when trying to overcome addiction? And how do you approach helping them navigate these challenges and maintain long-term sobriety? A lot of it, Chris, is I think what you and I are talking about, a lot of that early stuff and really tools for cravings. I got a couple of techniques that, that through my mentor, Greg Champion, amazing guy, I'll have to introduce you to, you'll love him. Just brilliant man that I employ to help him make empowering decisions over disempowering decisions. It's a lot of people. I'm one of those people, I believe, because our human body here is contained with a lot of energy science proves it down to the atom that there's a lot of things that if we state what our intentions are those good things can start to happen example i have a, a, a 10 intentions card i recommend this for everybody 10 intentions card carry in my pocket number one thing on there three years of sobriety continuous sobriety never hit it and then there's different stuff, things I want to achieve financially, stuff with my relationship and also people that I want to talk to on the podcast. One of those was Alonzo Bowden, a famous stand-up comedian here in the U.S. He got, his career took off when he got sober and it was just on the card. Only other person that knew about that name on there was my partner. About a month and a half after I did this last card, a uh, friend of mine that I met through recovery goes, hey, do you know who Alonzo Bowden is? I went, yeah. I told him about your podcast and he wants to be on. She didn't know that. It's crazy, you know, like the universe, like, puts you together with people. Yeah. And so I, I really try to work with people about carrying those intentions with you, those 10 things. And then on the other side, you put like the average age that a male lives to, which in the U.S. is like 74. So you put how many days and years you got left. And so it's this reminder that, hey, I don't know about you, 
I'm having to pull my wad out of my wallet if I was going to go buy something or my credit card. And there it is. That card's always there. So that's one of the things, like the first thing I have somebody do, just help them take it with them. I like that. Putting the 10 intentions on a card, man. Yeah. Just on like a business card sort of thing or a put it in your wallet. Yeah, I do. One of the, what are they, five by whatever. It's right there. So perfect, man. Yeah. Just fold it up. Take it with me wherever I go. These are just, it's like taking a vision board with you. Yeah. Because a part of it, big part of it, we got to set goals, right? You have goals and you're now going after it. So we got to have those goals and it helps us drive purpose because without purpose, hey, I might as well fly up to Canada and we get screwed up. You know what I'm saying? But we've got purpose now. And so that's really a big part. Once people find purpose, they can start to edge the cravings a little bit. And another early phase that I like to do, Chris, is a lot of people want to get rid of the memories of when they used and stupid stuff. I'm like, no, we're going to bring it in close and you're going to learn how to manage and work with that. Because I don't know about you, for me. Sweeping uh, things under the rug never helped me. I'll tell you that. It just gets worse. Yep, exactly. And it's going to really for everyone because of our brain scientifically proven if we do not deal with a lot of the stuff going up in here it's like you ever hear people like god i'm always having the same thing happen or people in relationships where they're like feels like i'm dating the same person you are because of you because you've yet to confront this thing and so it's it's part of that confronting process that like hey no we're going to confront this we're going to keep it close as a reminder that much like you and I, we, if we turn back to that substance or whatever it is, stuff's going to go off the rails. So that's the early couple of weeks of stuff there that I try to work on. Journaling, big on writing it out so you can go back, examine. It's We thrive when we can measure stuff because we're not objective with ourselves. You know what I'm saying? For sure. I just I like that you brought up journaling. I just had a guest on recently. That's actually how her second book came about. It was literally her, like our journal book. And then she's like, you know what, this is a book. And she would go back all the time and just read through what she's written and analyze it. I've come really far, a long ways from where I was. When you look back through your journals or your writing and stuff like that, you become a better person and those types of things and see how much you've grown as a human being. Who is that that you spoke to? Eurasia. I can't pronounce her last name is French. It's a hard name to pronounce, but. I just had her on, no, I just had her on my show. She's from the city here. She actually went to my high school and stuff, but. Oh, nice. Which is, you know, it's a, it's called the conversation of the snake, something snake in the garden or whatever, but that's what she called it. And it was basically coming out of a, a narcissistic abusive relationship for many years and getting away from that narcissistic abuser and stuff like that. The only way she got away was because she, he went to jail. Wow. Yeah. Else it's hard to get away from someone like that. She said she was like breaking down. So. I can attest to that. I can attest to that in doing some work in the sex and love addiction area on myself, really seeing that, like my biggest thing was toxic relationships over way drugs. Eventually those faded away. I just didn't cause it was easy. Just go out, drink here locally, or eventually became a secret cause I was consuming so much. It was at home and in secrecy, but yeah, for me, toxic relationships and that work, that was like the last area when I've been in meetings where you know, I said, yeah, I quit heroin, but I couldn't quit this woman. And it just that going back and we get so many different chemicals from 
relationships and we can go into a fight or flight mode and this thing's reacted. And then all of a sudden we have crazy, nutty, stupid people, sex and endorphins and dopamine and all that. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of challenges, man. A lot of challenges. Just about getting rid of the substances, you gotta do a lot of work on the inside, the outside. The people you surround yourself with, everyone, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it in the end, I find. It's a, it's a, it's going to be a, it's an ongoing process for the rest of my life, man. I'm ne- I'm never going to stop learning. Yeah. Yeah. And we got a, one of my favorite sayings I've adopted is a stick with the winners. Exactly. And it's not a bad thing that to be around people that have something you want. And I don't mean that in the nefarious way before where it's, oh, do you hear? I heard that guy's holding some oxy. No, but they've attain certain things within themselves in life and that energy rubs off that knowledge will rub off as long as we learn to shut our mouths a little more keep our ears open and that's and that's what i try to tell them. i'm in sales man that's the number one thing i have adhd as well and i've actually my sometimes my wife's surprised she's like how do you even do good at your job like <laughs> but the best part, i guess i i still tell you i said i just shut up and listen so can you do that at home too <laughs> no, cause you love me. <laughs> it's just all about, you gotta shut up and listen though. And that's what I tell some of these young people in the career I'm in. And they're like, how do you do so? I said, I'm listening to what you're doing. You're not, you're doing that totally opposite. What I told you, I, like shut up and listen is the number one thing. And you miss so many things that that's why those people just walked away from you. Because yeah. you didn't listen to what they're saying. You missed key point. I'll tell you that right now. It is what it is, but just shut up and listen people. Especially you know, if you have a sober coach like Jason or whatever, you don't know it all. That's why you hired him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know he doesn't know it all either, but you know, he's been through the ringers and so that's why he's doing what he's doing. And clearly he reached out for a reason. If you want to learn, you got to shut up and listen. And thank you for pointing that out too, Chris, because there are many times where I'm like, I don't have an answer for you right now, but I'll find one because I got people that I can ask where I will go back to the shut up and listen. I like that you say that too, because I don't have the answer in I sell cars and if I, and I'll tell that to my customers, they'll ask me a question. And I said, I'll try and answer all your questions. If I don't have the answer, I will get it for you is what I tell them. I, and it works all the time. And all right, if I don't have the answer, give me five minutes. I'll go talk to someone that I know that does have the answer here. There's a, I work with 40 other people at the dealership here. So someone's yeah. going to have an answer for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brother. But it's rewarding. It's challenging, but it's rewarding to for sure. help see someone really start to get to a point where they can transform themselves. And that's the ultimate goal. Just empowering someone, just empowering them. 100% man. And I want to talk a little bit about your relationship, your divorce, man. Your addiction sure. played a role in your divorce. How did your journey towards recovery and maintaining sobriety impact your relationships both during and after the divorce? And what lessons did you learn from that whole experience? I used to say, ah, if I wasn't in that, this was when I was still in the victim mindset. If I was never in that relationship, I probably wouldn't have been able to drink normally. And that was such bullshit. Would have come to a head in one Sounds way. Sounds like it was everyone else with the problem issue and you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In uh, really looking back, Chris, like all of the chaos and there was some really bad stuff, domestic violence and infidelities and all those things that I could sit there and go, wow. I think the Johnny Depp trial showed us, yes, men can be victims of stuff too. And I could sit and continue to have it be an excuse, but really the, it did me such a huge favor in retrospect because it made me less judgmental looking at my own behavior, like the God, the shit that I did, it was just 
on my own side where I was like, oh, this person did this so I can do this. Nah, it's being a shitty human's being a shitty human. So it helped me really with boundaries. And it's still an ongoing thing. Co-parenting sometimes is challenging with people of different philosophies. And I'm sure my children's mom would say that too. At the end of the day, I learned this from my therapist too. I love that you brought that up because I co-parent with two different mothers. I can only control what goes on at my house. I can't control what goes on at their house. So I had to really let go of, I don't like what happens there or how she does it there. At the end of the day, I can't do anything about it. I don't live there. She doesn't live here. I can only control what's in my four walls when she comes over here. I will parent her the way I do here. Plan she does it the way she does it. And we're just going to have to work together some way. Yeah. Exactly. And dude, I, you were, th- you said exactly what I thought. And that's an important boundary. Even if someone's listening that they're not struggling with substance abuse, but it, part of that divorce and in any healthy relationship is those good boundaries. And I had to establish that too. This is my house. I'll do it my way. Thank you for sharing. If there's concerns about the kids, their behaviors, things they're saying, they're doing, because I definitely worry about my children looking for an outside solution to those internal problems. And our youth are inundated with so much bullshit that even as an adult, I don't know how to navigate sometimes. But other than that, yeah, there has to be those boundaries, Chris. Boundaries are huge for sure. And that's the, at at the end of the day, it's good to have those healthy boundaries. Me and my wife have them too. If we're not, we have to do it. We do adult timeouts and I'm not ashamed to say that. It's okay to have those adult timeouts because that, because you know, when you have two people, one guy, one person's energy is here, then the next one's here. You're just trying to match each other's energy. It's not going to go anywhere. You want to be at an even keel. Or one of us has to walk away for 20 minutes, whether I go outside for a smoke or, you know, she goes for a walk around the block or whatever the case be, and we're being in 20 minutes, half hour, or maybe tomorrow, or maybe we can just talk through texts. We talk better through texts, whatever the case is. Yeah. And sometimes you do just need a time out. Like it's okay to say, I need space. And not, or if your partner does, like I, in the past, I'd be like, what's wrong with me? And I do everything to fix it. Whereas now it's okay. They're, I'm in a, with an amazing woman. It's okay. This is what they're going through. Hey, I'm here to support you. You need me. You need space. Cool. No big deal. And I'm just starting I don't to learn, learn that. And but it took me a long time. Like even with my wife, like I, me, like you said, I'm the fixer. I need to, we need to fix this now. And the problem is fucking not, if we're not fixing it, and then it just blows up to something that it shouldn't blow up to because <laughs> I, I get fucking hammed up with my ADHD and then I go to full rage mode and I'm, I got lots of issues, man. I got many different aspects of me from many years of abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to reel myself back in. Just like, uh-huh. Even my boss is Chris, even from when I've hired you to now, you've done a total 180. Just for a while there, so I was like, yeah, because I decided to do a curse if I can get off my medication for my mental illness. Thought I didn't need it for six, seven months. That's probably why I was a nutcase at work. I was, did some pretty fucked up thing. I smacked one of my coworkers' glasses off his head. Okay, start fights with people in the showroom. I'm surprised you still have a job, to be honest. You must be that good because the performer can sometimes get away with BS. No, they liked me in that sense. So then there's, Chris, you need to get your shit together, basically. And it all changed after getting suspended for a few days from work. And I was like, I really thought, I was like, hey, you know what? Time to ship up or they'll ship up or shape out, basically, or whatever the old saying is. And I finally turned it around there. It was just like, enough's enough. I'm here to work and not fuck around anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I still haven't, I think talking with you, I've had a few people say you should look into it if I have any attention deficit disorder, because I have a lot of the symptoms. I get easily distracted. 
but yeah, I need to look into it because dyslexia is late... tough enough. Uh, oh, dyslexia is crazy. That, that's a whole other thing on top of having ADHD too, but they all go hand in hand, actually. It's honestly true. Like addiction, ADHD go hand in hand. Oh, but yeah. I was just masking it for so many years because I didn't take any ADHD. It all started with Ridland for me back when I was 10 or 11 years old. Oh. And back then, the, those types of things are regulated and talking to a naturopath and shit. Boom. We've hit the nail on the coffin right now. This is where it all started. And the addiction started right there. And then one of my buddies in grade eight, grade nine told me about, hey, this stuff's just cheap man's cocaine. You can start it. Eh? I was like, hey, man, I got like lots of this stuff at home. Because back then it was just refill. Like, oh, I ran out, mom. Can I get some more? Yeah. But now it's controlled. Literally, if I show up to the pharmacy three days early, they're like, Chris, you, it's not, we can't refill it yet. I said, oh, I got to get around it. I'm going on vacation. They know I'm not bullshit. I'm not like, I just going on vacation. I'm going away. I won't be in town. So I need to refill it. They have to call my doctor, but just because it's actually a narcotic now. So it's a controlled substance. So I literally can only get enough for the month and that's it. I'm glad they've done that though. Yeah. Up here in Canada, I don't know down in the States, but. Yeah, they'll be so, pretty, I know we had a shortage at one point, which was crazy. pretty scary because there was in the midst of this opioid crisis, and I know it's hitting you up there in Canada too. It's uh, wild, man, everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Like we could, I could turn the camera around and show you downtown Guelph here right now, man. It's sad actually, man. It's not just insane. It's sad. Yeah. It's sad. But those people are humans too, everyone. You know what I mean? Don't sit there and knock. I see people like taking videos. Well, fucking cut the bullshit out. Why don't you go talk to them and ask them how their day's going? Sometimes they might not be responsive. And I do know that because I was once one of them <laughs> not doing the fence yeah. or nothing. Just, just other things. But I was there too, but like, they're all humans. Like, or a guy the other day came up to me and said, like, hey man, can I have a cigarette? As people tell him, no, who cares, man? It's a cigarette for fuck's sake. You can go buy another pack if you want to. Yeah. But just give them, I actually ended up having a 15 minute conversation with this guy. It, mind you, not a lot of it didn't make sense, but we still had a 15 minute conversation. I got a little bit of stuff out of him and it was and he was grateful for that. He said, thank you for talking to me at the end of it, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I couldn't you know? agree with you more. I got a young dude here by where I live, small town named Arthur. And I think I'm probably one of the only people that knows his name. And he'll forget me. <laughs> and then I'll go, Arthur. And he kind of, and then he's, oh, hey, dude, what's going on? And I'll buy him a Gatorade or he'll camp out near McDonald's or something like that and buy him a sandwich or something. Some people just need a little bit of humanity. Sometimes it's the only connection they get, especially if they've gotten to the point with their addiction where they're out on the streets. And a lot of them are taking something to stay awake at night so that they don't get violated in some way or, or attacked. Robbed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I've, my, my boss, Flynn Anderson, there at Parents in Acts, and he was telling me about speaking to a couple women that were staying up. They were doing meth at night they were homeless because they got sexually violated when they w had slept and attacked so they were staying awake just so they don't and then sleeping during the day what a terrible life to live and, and those people didn't start out that way no it's like you say addiction that discriminates no one man I, I know a lot of people that have some high up jobs or paying people or people that are very high up lots of places men that are addicts or former addicts and stuff and it does not discriminate anyone that people, it no, no matter what race, color, doesn't matter anything, man. No. And I think this opioid, primarily fentanyl crisis better start waking people up to that because it's, it definitely doesn't care about your social economic status. They doesn't matter, man. Like even my buddy or, or like emergency services of firefighters, honestly, man, like that's most of my calls. I don't even do fires anymore. I go to a lot, I go to 
the bulk of our calls now as a firefighter are going to overdoses now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, it's crazy up here. A lot of people, like it doesn't take much either. It's the thing though, but it's the new thing, man. And you don't know what you're getting anymore. No, really- no. And it's the scary part is, is it people go, oh, it was another addict dying, which I mean, hey, the reality is there's three things that happen to addicts. We get clean, we die, or the the worst one, we don't. We just sit and suffer for fucking tell death does come. But fentanyl is not even giving them a chance. No. They're, they're, like some of them aren't. They're like a college kid that's crazy anxiety and thinks he's getting a Xanax through Snapchat. And it's not. Yeah. It's a fentanyl pill and boom, they're dead. They're found in yeah. their dorm room. And it happens. Look, this is all the time up here too. Stuff. Yeah. I've seen like people, people I know from high school, their kids or their friends' kids. So I see it all the time. It doesn't matter where, man. Be vigilant about who you surround yourself with people. Like, cause you don't know, you don't know what you're going to get yourself into. You don't even know what value you get these days. I'll tell you that. And that's, I wondered if I was waking up every time I did drugs, man, being honest, man, I did not know anymore. And then I, sometimes I didn't want to wake up. I just wish I died at that point. And that's the scary thing about addiction, right? Is that. You knew that danger, but it didn't matter. You needed your fix, especially if you're going to go into detox and that's some painful shit. It was some of the worst. I would say the worst thing I came off of was actually seroquel and antipsychotics. They had me out for sleeping uh, and my psych, my psychologist, your psychotherapist, what the fuck they have you on those for? Oh, a doctor gave them to me. So there's, I said, I need to sleep. And so he told me this is a powerful sleep pill. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I said, and then I quit, but I was, I knew what it was because I had taken my buddies who was on it. He was bipolar and he's, yeah, try this. You need to go to bed tonight. I was like, yeah, I really want to come down with the cocaine. <laughs> he was on 300 milligrams a night. So I popped a whole one. Oh. Like, I slept for about 18 fucking hours, man. But, wow. But yeah, yeah, it was just like the shit that, and then I was on circle and my wife, she did all this research because I was like going nuts. And like, just fucking nuts at night. And she's like, yeah, Chris, I don't think you were supposed to quit that Seroquel cold turkey. I was like, I did. Went and had it in six days. So like, yeah, that's why you're acting the way you are at night and having all these night tears and freaking out and stuff. And, oh yeah. Leg, the, the twitching, your legs. I forget what that's called right now, but the tremors and all yeah. that sweats, aches in your bones, your muscle. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. oh I've what got enough, I've got enough issues, let alone. I have some physical issues that terrible back injury and it's, yeah, I need more pain. Yeah. No, thank so, you. No. And so it's, just, you know, what am I going to do? I was like, no, nah, that wasn't for me. I'm glad I got off those things. So I finally found the right pill for me, for my ADHD. And that's all I take now. There are a couple Advil here and there. That's it. Um, Goodness. And I highly suggest people that think they may have ADHD. There's nothing wrong with getting checked out and seeing if you have it. There's so many. There's so much research being done on it nowadays because so many people have it. Like lots of people that are like celebrities, they've found out that they have it and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, that's why we're different people and I love it. I'm bred differently. I'm wired differently as a neurodivergent. That's just why I am the way I am. That's why I'm good at my job. That's why I love doing podcasts. I just love chatting with people. doesn't matter where I go. I love chatting with everyone. <laughs> Same. Like- yeah. I get stuck too often. My, my youngest will be like, dad, if you see someone at the grocery store, please just say hi quickly because I'll get in. How's the kids? What's going on? Oh, my wife says, no, you're not coming out with me tonight. I'm just going to the store quickly. You can stay old. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shoot. Yeah. Sounds familiar. My brother sounds familiar, man. (laughs) 
one uh, more thing here though, man, overcoming addiction requires significant personal strength and determination. So can you share any advice or insights for individuals who may be struggling with addiction and looking to make a positive change in their lives? And what are some essential steps that they can take towards recovery and rebuilding? One of my favorite sayings, Chris, is no outside solutions to inside problems. And love it. Love it. Yeah. I'll have a t-shirt soon. So hopefully somebody will want to pick some of those up. But, and the reason being, as a matter of fact, I, as of this recording, I think I released a bonus episode totally on why I say that. But to me, that's a very empowering thing. Wait a minute. You're telling me that this thing that I've sat and said a victim, that all this other stuff that I was looking outward and this is what outward threw back at me. That this is me? Like, oh, wow. That can sound daunting, but it's really badass and you just you do you get to become like freaking awesome like you man you've got a superpower and i've got one and so many other people have found their superpower through their sobriety so for me it's it was just so empowering to be able to reflect and go okay i get to finally who i am be able to sit with who i am process things be patient with myself, be kind with myself, treat myself as I would others. Don't talk to myself anymore like terrible stuff because I sure as hell wouldn't say that to anyone, not a stranger, and definitely not someone close to me. And so I think it's just understand if you're new to this journey, be patient with yourself. So much is going to take time. Cravings will eventually start to go away and they might spike up. I don't know. <laughs> I've got friends. That's okay, I still get cravings once in a while. If I'm having yeah. a real bad day, but you know what I do today? People, I talk to it about someone. I'll call someone right away. I'll be like, hey, this is the way I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling this. I'm not going to use, but I've just really got a strong craving right now. And mm -hmm. it goes away pretty quick now, that, for me at least. Yeah. So I can't speak for everyone else. Yeah, no, same. It's, uh, you can have the addict thought, just not the addict action. And mine, it's gotten quicker. That turnaround has gotten really quick. I had an instance, I host ringing out some MMA events and I always get like a tonic water with a lime so that nobody comes up, nobody bothers me. I can go, no, I got a drink. Thanks. And they actually brought me a vodka and tonic, took a big swig. And here I am freaking out. Oh my God, did I lose my sobriety? And but no, it, it ha happened to me too. Oh it's, yeah. It sucks. It's well, we happened. got married in Mexico uh, this past <laughs> January. And they knew me, so they had Heineken Zero there. And they called me Heineken Man the whole time. I don't, they're like, Chris, you can't, you drank this, this bar with Heineken. And so I go to the next one then. And like the Heineken Zero. And, but do you know how many times, like I get a, not a margarita, I forget. Anyways, a drink, like a daiquiri or something. Something, who knows, anyways. But I was no alcohol. And do you know how many times I got with alcohol? I'd spit it out. Or my son's 14 at the time or 15. He's getting served. He's, damn it, they gave me, I said, yeah, that looks like there's rum in there because the thing's like <laughs> the, the slush is pretty liquefied. But or even in town here, I whatever it was to margarita or whatever it was, and same thing. And I took a sip. I was like, "Holy shit!" And but I spit it out right away. She, What's wrong? I said, "This is at least a double." I yeah. said, "You don't lose your sobriety, people." I was fairly vigilant. I could have sat there and kept drinking it, but I was like, "Like I knew right away because I hadn't drank in two and a half, three years." Yeah, but that's the awesome thing right there is it's a when we start out, we, as an AA guy, the acknowledgement, I am powerless against this thing. And eventually that switches 
because you do become powerful against it. If I relapse now where I'm at in life, it's a choice now. Early on in the last time, it wasn't a choice. I didn't do the work. I was a dry addict, but now it's a choice. And it's really exciting when you get there because it opens up so much room for so much more beautiful stuff to happen in your life. I love that, man. It's true though. It's a choice. I, I got to, I like saying this old timer told me, Chris, I have another relapse. I definitely do not have another recovery. And that goes for me too. I, if I didnn't get cleaned up this time, I would not be here. I, I 100% know just the road I was, the road I was taking at the time. Agreed. I'm definitely going to be dead in a ditch or someone's going to be pulling a toe tag out of the morgue. And yep, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I, yeah. Same. I mirror exactly what you're saying. And yeah, that's a saying that I use too. I, just, I don't have another recovery in me. So it's just, again, that goes back to from early on, boy, we're pushing through it. The brain's not yet switching on a lot of stuff and it's tough, but eventually you get to where you're at, where I'm at, where so many other people are at that, that you go, it's a choice. It can be a choice because yeah, the back to that instance, spit it out. I even text my sponsor. Because in my brain immediately, I went, okay, everyone I know here is it, that knows I'm sober is already drinking, so they may not notice. And I can maybe sober up before I get home, so my partner won't notice, and my kids, and maybe they'll all be asleep so I can get away with this. Ha, ha, ha. And that played out in about a nanosecond of put that thing in the garbage. 100%. Like, and I make yeah. a pretty good chunk of money, and now and the paychecks I bring in was fuck if I was still using like I wouldn't be able to do the job I'm doing period but just thought process holy shit this is a good check this week I'm a commission salesperson I was like nope let's not think that the thoughts do for a quick second and yeah. no responsibilities I gotta pay bills like those types of things and I still have a roof over my head yeah. and I wouldn't have that if it wasn't for my wife though like though how far I've come and stuff like that she's pushed me out of my comfort zone and I'm grateful for that supported me picked my ass up when I was down and those types of things. And that's valuable too. Hey, we're going to get it. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone because our brain and body, our maturity levels, our spiritual sense, whatever it is, it's accustomed to the using. That's going to be uncomfortable and start to love that. Like life is uncomfortable. Think about it from the time you're born to growing. And this is another growth process. It's uncomfortable, but it's worth it. It's like Shit, healing back you, bro. skin or like, you know, that butterfly, that cocoon going to the butterfly sort of thing you think of it like that analogy too and it's amazing and then you just go to the next stage of life and do it all over again and it's just so much fun to evolve and see where you come from my wife's a photographer so she'll put side by side chris you were fucked up in these <laughs> and i remember she showed me one I'll have to send it to you later, but I remember she showed me when I was like the beard, like down to fucking year like just <laughs> not even groomed like just a complete uh, mess She's yeah. like, I know you were high in this picture. She's oh, I was like, oh yeah, I can tell. No, you yeah. Know, but and then, and then the glow in me today, you know what I mean? Just it's like a night and day. Who was that guy? And who am I today? Sort of thing. Certain a lot of work to do on the guy that you're seeing today. Nothing like it was like four, four or five years ago. And it's so cool to know that though. There's so much work to do because it's a sign of purpose. I've got so much more work to do and the work we do inside is going to reflect outside upon the world we live in. And we, we get some beautiful things coming back our way. Some challenges too, but shit, you just, you learn to deal with it. You, it's not even deal with it. You're able to accept it as a part of having this human experience. It's pretty cool, man. I love it, man. I love it.
We've come to the end here, man. And I appreciate you taking the time of day to come on the show today, man. Before we go, though, Jason, let them know where they can find you, find your show and those sure. types of things, man. And I'll drop all the links, everyone, in the show notes as well for Jason's stuff. But yeah, man, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today, man, and sharing your experience, having some good laughs, sharing some great tips and tricks that you have in your toolbox and stuff like that. And I hope someone got something out of it today and hope we're able to help at least one person today. Likewise. No, thank you, Chris, man. It's good to make another Canadian friend. Now I've got excuses to go all over the country. Hopefully I, mean, in the I, next I still couple have an excuse years. to get out to California. My wife keeps telling me to go visit LA. She's been there. So you're about four or five hours north of me. So I'm sure we could figure something out. It might give me an excuse to get down there again. But yeah, if people want to check out Knocking Doors Down, you can go to kddpodcast.com. Some great interviews. Charlie Sheen on the podcast a couple of times. Kat Von D, Kelly Osborne. If you're like me and you're a professional wrestling fan, Ric Flair and Kurt Angle. And some just really brilliant people that work in this space to, to help other people through their own experiences. But a lot of experts, Dr. Rob Kelly stands out to me. Beautiful brilliant man through his recovery journey and just what he's doing with people now was charlie so, sheen doing tiger blood we did talk about it the first time we did talk tiger blood he told us where it came from he told us all of that stuff he was i gotta tell you charlie was really freaking cool that's for sure oh yeah a very i made a joke with him i don't think it was on any of the episodes this is when i still had a co-host but i remember saying to him like thank god we didn't meet when we were using his hell yeah it'd be it'd be all bad but a beautiful intelligent man owned all of the actions that he did all the wrongdoings and just had a wonderful sense of humor about it which i think we can addiction is a comedy and tragedy story it's funny because you and I are here alive. If it wasn't, we were talking about somebody else like we did earlier. It's a tragedy. So yeah, that's a fun one. I always throw that out there. And sadly, I got a beautiful experience with him and his wife and his son or soon to be, I think, ex-wife. But when Bam Margera had a window of sobriety through knowing Brandon Novak, we were able yeah. to go to Castle Bam and talk to him. And yeah, that one kind of hurts. I get people reaching out. It's like, I have no contact with them. I, I didn't personally know Bam on any level, but it is really I've sad. Had, I've had one of good friends, a good friend of Novak's, Tim Lodgen. So talk to him on the phone today. Tim, Tim and I are good friends. Tim? Yeah. Yeah. Tim's awesome, man. Yeah. Beautiful person. Beautiful. Yeah. And just, yeah, stronger than he knows, but I won't tell his story. I'll leave that for him but uh, you know listen to the episode on my show everyone they'll hear his yeah. story so. go back trust me listen to tim that is a listen to episode i recommend that for anyone that any one of your listeners because i probably there might be one of, yeah okay i know we've had other people and it's cro- not crossing my mind who else we've had but you've had a lot of beautiful episodes i'm starting to ramble here but yeah, check it out. Follow Knocking Doors Down on Instagram, KD Media Company on Twitter, Knocking Doors Down on Facebook. And please, hey, if you're struggling, reach out to Chris, myself. We're people that will sit, listen, or help you find someone that can help you even more. So, yeah, thank you again. And I hope you have a great rest of your day, Jason. Likewise, brother. Appreciate you.